It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and we are going to continue attacking uh, the ringer, which is transparently one of my favorite websites, but I didn't love this article they wrote, Ranking the Young Cores in the NBA um, by War, in case you missed it, we put out a part one, and uh, now it's going to be, I guess, a little bit less contentious, because we maybe be a little bit more in agreement with the ringer's rankings. Yeah, a lot of the ones in the top uh, 10 or so, you know, we didn't really have too much exception with, with with one or two exceptions, but we'll get into that in just a moment and continue breaking down the Knicks versus other young cores in the NBA next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, count and one. As Fisdale pumps his fist. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. All right, uh, the Indiana Pacers are the next team up, and this is largely on the weight of their big man duo of Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis. And, and to me, Alex, this sort of highlights another flaw in the logic of the article, just in the sense that they don't really take into account um, overlapping skill set relative to complementary skill set. And, and with the Knicks, you can, and I, I've actually talked quite a bit about this last two podcasts, like you can make a case they haven't put together an ideal young team just in the sense that like 
their three like main wings that they're building around Trier, Knox and Barrett are all guys that sort of need the ball in their hands. And like their all their games are, are kind of based around their scoring, but I'd rather have guys that at least can be on the court together while like Sabonis and Turner are like skilled, but I feel like you get diminishing returns by playing them together. And it, it seems like they just drafted another center. I don't think they're planning on keeping both of those two long-term. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I guess you could in theory play them together. You know, I, I won't like say that I watch so much of uh, the Pacers that I could really make an educated like judgment on that. Of course, like they're two traditional big, big men. And so like to play them together, regardless of even if they have, you know, good skill sets on offense where they can both kind of shoot a little bit. It's, um, you know, it's still, you can't like, necessarily always play them together on defense because of you know how uh big guys are played now in the nba and things of that nature so other than those two though i mean once you start looking at the rest of the guys like obviously old depot doesn't count towards this he's too old at this point you got like aaron holiday who is is pretty solid i mean he definitely started to come on a little bit last year brogdon is aged out of this exercise um and they have goga who they just took this year uh i know it was one of your favorites as far as at least uh, uh names are concerned yeah. but uh yeah you know just um in general i'd i'd say i'd still probably put the knicks uh, this this one i call a toss up i mean just cuz i do think the turner and sabonis are both really good but i i still probably be inclined to put the knicks ahead of them if yeah. if we're being honest yeah, it's it's like a, it's a weird thing because I think I think like Turner and Sabonis are definitely like they're like if I was if I was just doing a draft out of like all the Knicks guys and all the Pacers guys, Turner and Sabonis guaranteed to go in the top three. Like Mitch, Mitch is maybe one. You can make a case for Turner when I, I would I would say Mitch would be the number one pick in that group. And then I think those two guys, like I, I'd clearly rather have both of them in a vacuum over RJ. It just I in my mind, that's not I mean, that's that's not what this exercise should be. It should be I mean, you look, when you're saying like best young core for me, that means like which group is going to contribute most to winning. And I think you need to take into account, okay, how do the players fit together when, when you're looking at that? And I just, I don't see a scenario where Turner and Sabonis are, are both still on the Pacers for the next five years. And if they are, I think you're not getting the best version of either player. So I would, I would take the Knicks for that reason. Um, number 11 is another perennial bottom feeder, the Orlando Magic, who should be stacked in this category. But it, it's sort of they're they're really like a conundrum where you're just entirely still sort of waiting for their guys to come together. Like Aaron Gordon has proven himself as if not an all star and above average NBA player. But then you look at the rest of the list, Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, Mo Bamba, uh, Chuma Okiki, who's out for the, the rookie they drafted out of Auburn, who, who I actually loved in this draft until he tore his ACL. So they have a lot of interesting pieces, but I don't I don't know if there's been enough production here that you could clearly put them ahead of the Knicks. And I think they should certainly be behind about like five or six other teams we listed. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Gordon is one of those guys that he's put up some decent numbers and he earned himself a pretty big contract. Like he's a pretty, pretty good player. Um, but other than him, like I really yeah, like, can you really make a case? Honestly, and it's it's I understand that. Fultz has the talent there and had all that talent coming out of college, but can you can't even really make a case that Marco Fultz at this stage with all this great unknown about him is even more valuable than like Frank Nilakina, uh, because they've both proven nothing in the league. You know what I mean? They're both, they're both just blank slates, like for different reasons, Frank learning how to play with more aggression, learning how to 
uh, shoot the ball better and things like that. But he's shown at least, you know, high quality NBA defense. Fultz, I mean, literally, he's he was like broken. You know, his his shot wasn't working, and um, you know, he had to have the thoracic outlet surgery, which is not a uh, you know a surgery to be taken lightly at any you know in any sport, and it's almost kind of unheard of in basketball. Uh, it's usually more of a baseball thing. And then, you know, like Mo Bamba really didn't show much. Like you definitely say, like, I, I really think like even with Aaron Gordon, I, I might still take Mitch and RJ over even Aaron Gordon, who would be their best piece. And then beyond that, you could still start splitting hairs between like Knox and even Nilakina and some of their guys. Yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement. It's just, I mean, nothing... Nothing is proven there. I, I actually, I, I like Isaac, but he, again, he feels like one of those guys that he's going to be like seven years into his career and people are still going to be like just betting on his upside and being like, oh, you know, one day he's, he's going to put it together. And I just, I don't know if it'll ever totally happen for him offensively. And, I, and I'll, I'll be clear, it's, it's too early to say that at this point, but I, I just, I haven't seen that kind of consistency from him yet. And, and Fultz, Fultz, I like. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Markel Fultz fan, but I mean, they, I think they literally said like there's still no timeline for him to come back. So you just you can't really bank on him. So I think we're, we're in agreement that that one's um, a little ridiculous. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, who would not have been anywhere near the top ten on this list a year ago, uh, just because of how they constructed their team, uh, were able to acquire D'Angelo Russell this offseason. And there's not necessarily a lot there. And I'd say a real indictment on this article right off the bat, Alex. I know I keep using that term, but it, this just caught my eye. Uh, they have Amari Spellman as a Golden State Warrior. That is the wrong Villanova Wildcat. He is on the Atlanta Hawks, unless there was a trade that I missed. I think there, there was it. There was a trade you missed. Yeah, he's, he's oh, on Golden wow. State now. Now I feel he, like uh, he was, was traded thinking- for um, they traded uh, for Omari Spellman and they traded uh, Damian Jones and a second rounder. Oh, okay. But that fell so under the radar compared to all these other monster moves. I apologize that to Zach Cram. I apologize to the ringer. That was that was, that was bad journalism on my part. That's okay. That's all right. I mean, whatever. I, I would assume that, you know, the ringer doesn't know what they're talking about a lot of the time. But no, in this case, they actually do. Um, and then they also drafted Pascal. Right? Pas- I assume they confused him and Pascal. So that's why I was, I was all ready to get on my high horse. But anyway. No, they just got both. They're just trying to, like, build the whole you know, Villanova team, I guess. Yeah. All right. But, yeah, well, I would say, like, Spellman – Nice player in college, largely irrelevant to this argument. The two guys that are interesting here uh, are D'Angelo Russell and Kevon Looney, who combined for 38 projected, a projected 38 war over the next couple of seasons, which is really, really good. And I like Looney. I'm, I'm a big, I, I'm newly a big ULO fan. I was a hater for the longest time. But I don't know. This is this one's this one's an interesting argument. I, I would put them lower just because I don't I don't think Gilo is going to be on the team for that long. And maybe maybe just as an asset, you still have to take him into account. But he's another guy where I just don't really see the fit on, on the team that he's on. Yeah, I mean, you have to just take in the. I think this is more just based on talent and stuff. Sure. And you have to take you have to take trade value and stuff into account, even in a vacuum. You know, like just. It, it, this is just how valuable is D'Angelo Russell? How good is he? How much when I'm looking at young cores and ranking them, I would be like, well, how much potential do they have to get better and blah, blah, blah. And like Delo's definitely shown the capacity to get better. So that's a good thing for him. Um, other than that, like Looney, I think is a great role player, but I think he's basically already peaked. Like, I don't know how much more we're going to see out of him than what he currently is, which is a good defender, pretty good finisher, you know, and that's more or less it. Um, I find it interesting, though, like 
the way that this article was written, obviously, like if anybody's listening to this and, um, you know, feels like reading this article, feel free. It was interesting in its own way, even if we both clearly kind of think it was crap. But um, they they felt the need to list like Omari Spellman and Jordan Poole as having 2.4 war each, which seems like a really low number. And like, it seems like they must have been omitting some players with numbers that low. But like, you know, on the Knicks, they only listed Mitchell Robinson when they were talking about the players and he had a 19.7 war. So to me, I'm like, does that mean that RJ in these projections came in under 2.4 war? Like as his projection, that just seems absurd to me. I, I don't know if that's because like Jordan Poole is like, I mean, he's a rookie, so he's just like RJ. So they're only basing this off college somehow. And they've got him at 2.4 and yet apparently have top three pick RJ Barrett even less than that. It just boggles the mind a little bit. Um with how these calculations go down, but either way. Yeah. I mean, even with D'Angelo Russell and, and Looney, uh, I think I'd still probably just, ju- I obviously the Knicks aren't better than the Warriors, but just from a young core perspective, I would put the Knicks ahead of, uh, the Warriors here, even with D'Lo taken into account. Cause I think D'Lo, obviously he made the all-stars a reserve this year. Um, and that's great for him. And he scored over 20 points. I think he dished over seven assists per game. I mean, you put up great numbers and everything, but as far as overall impact, I might still put, like, overall impact and future potential, I might put Mitch higher than him because I think that D'Lo is going to sacrifice so much on the defensive end over time, and Mitch is going to continue being one of the most efficient players in the league on offense and giving you, like, actual game-changing defense and maybe contend for a number of Defensive Player of the Year awards somewhere down the line. So I, yeah, I, I still have the Knicks ahead here, I think pretty easily. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you. I mean, D'Lo, I mean, again, a lot of fun. He, he's kind of a man after my own heart just because I love like his, his, his passing ability. Like I I genuinely think he's one of like the 10 best passers in the NBA. Like it, it, he can throw some genuinely brilliant dimes. That being said, um, the combination of his defense and his free throw rate really bring down my opinion of his future. I just, I don't think him scoring 25 points a game efficiently is ever, is ever really going to happen because he's just, there was, there was some, it was on, I heard it ironically enough on a ringer podcast, but I think it was, I think it was Bill Simmons's podcast. And they were saying like, in terms of players to score over 20 points per game, like D'Lo shot like the second least amount of free throws ever. I think it was, it was specifically for guards, but it was just, it, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of nuts. So he, I just I don't think that's sustainable at all. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a second on Locked On Knicks. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. 
Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, here on Locked on Knicks, we are breaking down the final nine teams in what we consider the largely flawed power rankings of the Ringers' best under-25 cores in the NBA. So the next one is the Atlanta Hawks, and um, I don't know about you, Alex. I would I'd call this one fair. They have that trio of John Collins, Trey Young, and Kevin Herter, who were all really, really impressive. Collins is the most proven of the three. Young put up just insane offensive stats over the All-Star break, though he's right there with Kevin Knox in terms of projections for the worst um, defenders over the next couple of years in the NBA. The Hawks also added DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. I was actually surprised the Hawks weren't better. Like In my mind, like they would be pretty clearly amongst the top like six or seven teams because I, I really do think like Young and Collins are, especially in the East, um, going to make a lot of all-star teams. And I think Herder, Hunter, and Reddish are sort of the perfect, obviously Hunter and Reddish, we haven't seen play a minute of NBA basketball yet to so take that for what it's worth. But like on paper, at least, like kind of the perfect group of wings to have around those two. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. Um, I think John Collins, maybe with his his defensive deficiencies is, is maybe a little overrated. Like he scores a lot of points, but I don't know if he's necessarily the best defender, but still like if you offer me John Collins for almost anybody on the Knicks, I, other than again, maybe Mitch, like, I, I don't know. I feel like I always feel like such a homer, like being so, so high on Mitch, but I really just, I think a defensive player of the year type player is really, really, really valuable in their own way. Um, but like, yeah, I, Trey young obviously is awesome. Uh, Kevin Herter, you know, looks like he could be a great shooter and stuff. I was really surprised that like the Carmelo metric doesn't like DeAndre Hunter. So they must just be really worried about his like offense, I guess, going forward. I, I don't know exactly what their concern is there because he seems like he's at the very least going to be a really good role player. Um, Reddish, I could totally understand being concerned about because I really I just don't think he's going to end up being very good based off what we saw in college. But sure, it was, it was a good, you know, swing for the fences by them for sure. Um but yeah, it, you know, all in all, no problems at all for me as far as the Hawks are concerned. It didn't sound like you had any either. Um, the next one is the uh, number eight on the list was the Boston Celtics. Um, you know, it sucks to admit it, but yeah, of course. I mean, I don't really have any issue with this either because despite the fact that I think that um, the Ringer's own Bill Simmons and some of their other more Celtics-minded people have sort of over-anointed Jason Tatum as like, you know, the second coming of whoever, uh, whatever, you know, name your great player here. Uh, I, I do think that he's, you know, head and shoulders above anyone the Knicks have right now. I think Jalen Brown's maybe a little bit overrated, but he's certainly a good defender um, and a, a pretty smart passer and a, and a decent shooter. Um, so he's not the worst in the world. Uh, he's cer- and is certainly pretty good. I don't know if I'll take him over RJ or Mitch necessarily, but I think that Tatum weighs this out enough uh for them to comfortably be above the Knicks yeah and they, they also they I mean you you can question like if any of those guys will ever end up being like stars but I think they added like a couple of good players in the draft too like I'm a big 
I'm a big Carson Edwards fan. And, and yeah, I think, I think Tatum, you have to say like pretty clearly you take over anyone on the Knicks and like, he's just, he's one of the better under 25 guys on this list, despite a disappointing sophomore season. So I think we're in agreement there. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are seventh, basically purely on the weight of Ben Simmons. He has a projected 42.4 war over the next five seasons, which is the best for any under 25 player in the NBA which I, I don't know if I'd, I, that's an interesting question. If you'd rather have Simmons over anyone else in the league under 25, like personally, like I would, I maybe, I, I don't know. I guess Donovan Mitchell's maybe still like a year older. So like that, there's an argument there. I think I'd, I'd probably rather have Mitchell. Like I think you could make a case for, I, I probably would rather have De'Aaron Fox, honestly, than, than Ben Simmons, um, despite his upside. That be, that being said, like, I mean, I, I think Simmons like on a team that more, fit his skill set would be even more dangerous. Like you just, if you kind of used him like LeBron and surrounded him with four shooters at all times, he'd he'd be a much better player. So he's, he's certainly interesting, but there's not really anything else there for Philly. I mean, they also have Jonah Bolden, uh, Zaire Smith, Matisse Thibel. Actually, I think Zaire Smith's going to end up being like a pretty good role player in the NBA, but um, it's it's really mostly just Ben Simmons. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get there, but as far as guys that would take over Simmons, I mean, there's a bunch still left on this list. Like, uh Jokic I would take over him Zion Zion I would take over him for sure yeah um Doncic for sure I would take over him I mean I don't know I I don't it's another one of those things where I'm like how does this how does this number work like you're talking about a guy who's never made an NBA three-pointer and you know in a in a era where three-pointers are so important now and he's he's ranked as the guy that you know is uh, apparently the most valuable to his team of anybody under 25. I just don't quite buy that, but I do like their core. I mean, literally just on Ben Simmons alone, their their core is better than Knicks for sure. Um, you know, they they mentioned some honorable mentions like uh, Matisse Thybul, uh, the rookie. I actually really like him. I think he's going to be pretty good. Zaire Smith, I think probably got a little overlooked because he spent a lot of last year uh, injured, but he was always going to be a project as well. So they definitely have some. They have some good potential guys as well, in addition to their one obvious, like, all-star, probably uh, potential all-NBA type guy in Ben Simmons. Um, next team up, and this is where, this is where again, I, I start to be like, how does this work? Like, I don't know. It just it doesn't seem like this team should be that much, like, this head and shoulders above the Knicks, particularly given the results on the court. Uh, given the players that were on the team, but the Phoenix Suns are ranked number six here. Uh, Devin Booker, the headliner with 19.5 war. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was 17.3. Macau Bridges with 12.4. I mean, they they actually like just jetted some of their like young core. Um, A lot of them. Yeah, I mean, they, they've gotten rid of recently Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, Josh Jackson. And like, I don't know, they have, uh, they drafted... Um, uh, was it Cam Johnson out of North Carolina in the draft, and they took um, Ty, uh, the, yeah, Ty Jerome, right, the kid from. I was like, I was mixing up my Virginia guards for a second, but yeah, they took Ty Jerome. But I mean, still, I just, I, I, I'm probably just not as big of a believer in Booker as a lot of people. I think he's definitely a talented scorer, but clearly he by himself, and even he and Aiton by themselves, you know, it don't influence winning because we're talking about a team that. You know, the Knicks with their apparently 20th, you know, 20th best core in the league, minus R.J. Barrett even, you know, got 17 wins last year. And the Suns still managed to only scrape 19 with these two allegedly really, really great players. Uh, So I just I don't really buy it with them. And I think 
I think you could almost make a case that, you know, the Knicks should be in contention with them, if not arguably ahead, because at least the Knicks have more like volume of young players as well. Um, Whereas, you know, the Suns keep just kind of tossing these guys by the wayside one by one, uh, other than Booker, Uh, you know, the Knicks have at least like added guys and are at least putting in some effort to maybe develop them like Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Nilakina, Trier, obviously, and, you know, uh, Knox, who, you know, is still a project, but I, I just feel like you could almost make case the Knicks are better than the Suns, but at the very least, I think they're more or less equals. Yeah, I I don't know. I I slightly disagree. I mean, I I guess I I take issue with like saying like Aiton and Booker don't affect winning just because like the surrounding pieces on that team have been so bad. And Aiton, like I think it's unfair just because he was only a rookie last season. And like even like I mean like guys like Doncic and um, Triple J are to like a lesser degree are really like the exception rather than the rule. Like there there are so many like Hall of Famers who were like net negatives as a rookie, or at least like perennial all stars who were net negatives as a rookie. Like usually, like you see the guys that you see that are greatest rookies, like those are those are the dudes who you're like, okay, they're going to be like eventual like best or second best players on a title team. And maybe maybe you could say like Aiton's like um, ceiling is like a little bit below that, but I, I'm still a big believer in his game. And I think if you're going like head to head with the Knicks, like Booker Robinson, and and maybe I'm, I'm like I'm probably like inclined to be a little more neutral here because I'm also a Suns fan, but I think I'd still slightly rather have Booker over Mitch. It's, it's interesting. It's an argument. Um, I, I just, I, I think he's like special as a scorer. Like I think he's someone like through his prime is going to average like 28 a game and, and maybe I'm, I'm undervaluing how bad he is defensively, but I still kind of have faith that on a better team that'll shape up a little bit. Um, I, I just think I, I really, I do think he's going to end up being like a Damian Lillard like type of scorer and player. Like even if he's not that type of creator, uh, Aiton uh, kind of similar. I think I, I know, you you made um I and like a better version of like an ill fated like uh Ennis Cantor comparison. I have a feeling he he's just such a good athlete. I think he's gonna end he's gonna top out as like pretty close to an average defender and he, he is really, really special offensively. Like I, I think he was he was the first rookie in like what, like fifteen years to put up sixteen and ten and shoot better than fifty percent from the field. And Bridges, I actually like I he's like one of my favorite like low key young guys in the NBA, like genuinely from like day one, like plus like three and D player. Um, I would, I probably take him over like the majority of the Knicks younger guys. Him versus Knox is an interesting conversation just because Knox's ceiling is obviously so much higher, but yeah, I would, I, I think I'd, I'd still slightly, I'd, I'd prefer the Suns over the Knicks. Uh, I, I want to take into account Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome, but they're, they're pretty much 25 already when they were drafted. So I don't know. I don't yeah. know if we can. I guess my counterpoint to you as far yeah. as like, not thinking that Booker and Aiton can influence winning. I mean, obviously, I don't think that those two alone in the Western Conference, like even if they were really good, should be able to like single handedly drag the Suns like into legitimate like playoff contention or anything. But I just think it's an indictment on them that they had, you know, they have those two guys and still couldn't, you know, like Booker is allegedly this like all-star-esque player, you know, that you're expecting to be an all-star in a couple years and like eight in the same thing, like number one overall pick, blah, blah, blah. And they show no improvement. They just found themselves in the exact same spot that they've been for however many years, still in the basement. And then you look at them versus some of the other teams that show up near the top of this list that I think legitimately deserve to be here. Like, just to preview, we're going to have, like, the Timberwolves as the next one. And and you have, like, the Mavericks who, you know, as much as you hate to say it, are are part of that. Um, and like the Sixers who we just talked about and it's like those teams have these great young players and they're already 
turning into good teams. And of course, you know, you can argue about, you know, who's win now or whatever, but the Suns at the beginning of last year had made some moves to try to, you know, potentially win last year. And it just didn't work out again for them because it just doesn't seem like these players are quite the guys to do it for them. Like, I don't know. I, I do think that they're also just a trash bag franchise in, in many ways, like what people have always said the Knicks are, uh, you know, even to this day for past transgressions that the Knicks have committed. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like their young core is very overrated. Um, but unless you had anything to add on that, we could probably move to the next. Yeah. My, my only counter is that Robert Sarver literally had goats that like shat all over Ryan McDonough's office. That's it. That That's my only counter. I think that yeah. like, uses like any amount of win total, no matter how good you are. <laughs> because I, they, that team is like, is really for the last five years. And someone who, who went to a lot of those games over the last five years, just a, a garbage fire. And I think they, even though they probably have like the worst front office in the league and like they totally mismanaged their assets and they they should be like with, um, with Sarge and Rubio in there. Like, even if those weren't the guys, like I would assign, like they'll, they'll be a little bit you're like, you'll, we'll know a lot more about how good Booker and Aiden Arby's at least they're finally like for the first, I mean, Aiden only had to deal with it for one year, but they're like finally surrounded by like competency, if not good players. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. Locked On Knicks continuing to rank the Knicks young core against the rest of the NBA. Um, Minnesota, the next team up. Uh, Again, just sort of on the strength of one guy. Like I think like Carl Towns, like you could take issue with his defense offensively, he's, he's like genuinely like unique. And, uh, one, 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 we, we've spent so much time just crapping all over this article, uh, to continue. Uh, I, I don't know why I keep, I keep making, a, I'm, I'm very poop fixated today. I made a lot of shit references, but the one good thing about this article, uh, really cool stat on Carl Towns. They, they had like a list of players to average 20 and 11 through their age 23 season. And then how many three pointers they made in their career. Um, Towns is at 22 and 12 through his first couple of seasons. And he's made um, just under 400 three pointers in his, in his, in his NBA career. Then there's like, let me see about like 12 to 13 other guys on this list. And they've made a combined four three pointers. And now like a lot of them 
played in like the 60s and 70s where there wasn't a three-point line, but still a pretty incredible stat that shows you just like how unique Carl Towns is. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm in agreement. Like Towns by himself is enough to to put them over the Knicks because, again, Towns is one of those players I would trade damn near the whole young core for, well, probably the whole young core for yeah, Carl Towns if, if given the opportunity. Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, whatever. I mean, he's he's a really, really, really good player. Um, and Jarrett Culver, I think as well, you know, is worth noting too. Uh, Akoji, they mentioned as well, who's a great defender, maybe not going to be the best uh, um, offensive player ever. But Culver, I mean, it, it, the world knows our thoughts on Jared Culver. We considered him a legitimate, you know, guy to look at instead of R.J. Barrett, even at number three. Um, ultimately, I think you and I were both okay enough with the Barrett pick that we were like, we totally understand the rationale. But I think Culver could have been that good. Um but again, this is just another one of those weird things where I'm like, how did Jarrett Culver, or maybe they just didn't feel like noting any of the other players, but Jarrett Culver shows up on the list with 10.8 war, and RJ Barrett doesn't even get an annotation for what his projected war was. It's just very strange to me how this stat works and how this projection model works and and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, all in all. You know, no no objections for me as far as just the actual, um, you know, war total or the war total, I, whatever. But the their placement on the list, I don't have a problem with because of Carl Towns. Yeah, I, I no argument for me. I'm I'm, I'm with you. Uh, next up is the Dallas Mavericks, uh, and their 66 war over the next five years is paced by. Luka Doncic's Luka Doncic apostrophe S. So is, he's at forty one point six. Anyways, he's just behind Ben Simmons for best under twenty five. He is the fourth best five year projection of anyone in the NBA. They actually have him have him ahead of um, Nikola Jokic, which I think would be an interesting argument. I, I might take Jokic just given how I, I think Doncic for their careers, but Jokic given that he's a few years older. Um, they have the uh, hated everyone cover your ears. Kristaps uh, Porzingis at eighteen, and then. Jalen Brunson in the mix at four. Um, yeah, I think the, the combination of, of Doncic and uh, Porzingis is is enough to uh, push them comfortably ahead of our New York Knicks. Yeah, just Doncic by himself is enough to sure. do it for me. Even <laughs> yeah. so, I, I, like if we're keeping it real, like I would trade yeah. everything. I, I would trade every every everything for Luka Doncic. Like I, I would have done the same thing last year too, because <laughs> I just think he's phenomenal. Um, and I don't even feel like this one warrants discussing because I don't even really want to talk about the other guy and uh, his potential impact given the bad blood there. Uh, so we'll just move to the next team because fuck it. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are listed next with Jaron Jackson Jr., who we've already talked about a number of times. He's come up spontaneously on here already. Uh, John Morant and Tyus Jones listed there. Um, I mean, I could certainly see the case. I, I think it's a little high. I, yeah, I think they're a little high. Like, I could see the, the case for them being more or less equal with the Knicks, just on the strength of that JJJ looks really legit. And John Morant, I, I mean, was the number two overall pick. I, I think it's kind of ridiculous, though, that this this projection model, you know, took apparently takes into account, like, everything that a basketball player can do. And John Morant clearly has defensive deficiencies and yet comes in clocking an 18.2 uh, war score here. It just, I don't know, just another one of those things that doesn't really make any sense to me overall. Um, but I, I guess, we'll say, and he also came in significant, like 
you look at him versus like Trey Young even, and Trey Young came in with it was less than that. Hold on, let me thirteen. Just, yeah, Trey Young came in at thirteen point six, and John Morant comes in at eighteen point two. So yeah. I mean, that's just that seems like a really weird discrepancy to me. Like, I like a hundred times out of a hundred, I I would say that I think I like the Hawks young core more than I like the Grizzlies uh, just because of the sheer amount of good young players that they have and the quality of the players. Um, and so I just, I don't, I don't agree with this one at all. I don't know how they're number three. I think that's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, and I, you, you can even make case the Knicks are as good or better as yeah, far as young cores go. Just for some context, Tyus Jones, they have 24 wins ahead of Kevin Knox, which, and I think like Tyus Jones is like a nice backup point guard, but it just shows you the flaw because he's, he's the guy who again is just a very analytics friendly player in that he's like pretty efficient, has a ridiculously high assist to turnover ratio, but you, you actually watch him play and you're like, okay, no, again, nice player. He's solid. It's not, not blowing your socks off. Um, I, I would, I would pretty clearly, I think, take their young core ahead of the Knicks. Like, I think, I mean, like we both agree, like I, triple J is like pretty special. Like I would, I, I think I, I'd, I'd take him like a little bit over Mitch, just mainly because of the three point shooting. Like they're, they're really like kind of the same player in a lot of ways with Mitch being like a little bit better defensively. But the fact that Jackson can only also shoot makes him pretty unique amongst like kind of like a rim roller, like rim protector type. Uh, I would take Morant over Barrett. Like I was pretty and the Knicks themselves would have taken Morant over Barrett. So I, I don't know if there's much of an argument there. I, I just think um, despite his defensive problems, he, he is a chance to be special with his athletic ability and vision that I just I don't really see from Barrett. And then uh, you, your guy, Brandon Clark, who uh, great, great call by you, by the way, in terms of loving him pre-draft because he, he went on to win summer league MVP and looked really, really good. And like I genuinely like I, I wish the Knicks could have maybe if they had fallen further, could have figured out a way to like trade back and end up with him or trade up and end up with him somehow because I, I think he's going to be just awesome. So I would, I, I think I would pretty clearly prefer their young core to the Knicks. That being said, I think having them at three is, is way too high. You know, I'm actually like totally ashamed to say that I didn't even think of Clark with this. Cause maybe it still just hasn't set in that he's well, not a Nick and maybe never will be. Yeah. But they didn't even list him. That's what I was just, I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't even see Brandon Clark's name on here. That's egregious. Yeah. I don't know how he doesn't even show up on the damn list, especially considering this takes all like defensive and, efficiency stats and stuff and he was maybe the most efficient like and one of the best defensive players in all of college basketball last year the analytics had him i think only behind zion like if you were like looking at those like kevin pelton charts that they referenced with barrett like i'm yeah i remember correctly he would have been second on those charts behind only zion yeah exactly so kind of Kind of wild uh, that they didn't even think to list him. Maybe just a huge oversight on their part. But yeah, I think uh, with Clark, you know, now that I, now that I totally remember that that's the team that he ended up on, I, I might put them ahead of the Knicks as well. Like just because Clark, JJJ, and Morant, you know, probably probably a better trio than you could put together if anybody on the Knicks. And like it's thin margins between like RJ and Ja and um, Mitch and JJJ, no matter how you slice them. And then I think that Clark, I'd probably take over more or less any of the other guys that the Knicks have below that. So that would probably be my swing vote. Um, next up, this one feels pretty pretty obvious and easy. Um, the Pelicans with, uh, surprisingly, this, again, this stat just is boggling my mind. Uh, but Lonzo is listed as having a higher war than Zion here. Uh, Lonzo is listed at 29.4 war. 
for a dude that can't even shoot like 50% from the free throw line and all this shit. Um, and Zion at 22 and Josh Hart at nine and a half war. I mean, obviously Zion by himself makes me want the, the Pelicans core more than the Knicks core uh, still to this day, as much as we want to talk ourselves into RJ being so good and everything. Uh, I'd still take Zion a thousand times out of a thousand. Um, they also have Jackson Hayes, Brandon Ingram, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker. I mean, that's as far as like six prospects, like those three guys they got from the Lakers plus the um, the three that they acquired in the draft this year. It's about as good as you can ask for. Um, a, a great young core, honestly. I think that New Orleans has positioned themselves really well, uh, given everything that went down with Anthony Davis. And I think that their their core is no doubt better than the Knicks. I don't even think it really it doesn't merit arguing just because they're they're for sure better. Yeah, I, I would say in terms of like star power, like you could argue they're like a little overrated. He's like I think Zion's like the only sure bet out of that group to make an All Star team. And you could you could make a case like Memphis, Dallas, and and maybe even Sacramento. Like if you're just saying like top two guys are could all could all be ahead of them. But just the depth that New Orleans has, and you, and you just noted it, so I don't I don't have to go over it again. Like I think they're legitimately going to have like like six or seven guys who are going to have like eight plus year careers that are under twenty five, which is rare. That's pretty. That's unique. You you, you most teams like like if, if you if you hit on half of the under 25 guys on your team. And most teams don't even have that many. Um, you're, you're in a pretty good spot. And the fact that new Orleans looks like they're going to have like a full, like almost like roster of under 25 guys that are all going to be good. And like all like kind of perfectly complementing the skill set of one of the best players to come into the league in, in the last 10 years, they're in a really, really strong position. Um, the number one team, uh, I don't think they're, I, I don't know. I mean, I think they're, you, you could make an argument, but in terms of, if we're not projecting in terms of what they've shown so far, um, no one compares to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they're led by two under 25 stars in Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And another excellent stat in this article that was that obviously missed in some areas, but a good note here. Uh, five NBA teams had an average age below 25 last season. Their win totals were 17 for the Knicks, 19 for the Suns, 22 for the Bulls, 39 for the Kings, 54 for the Nuggets. So that, that's a pretty ringing endorsement of what Denver's doing. Yeah, it's pretty wild, too. Like, when you look up and down their roster at the guys that they have that qualify for this exercise, like, Gary Harris is just barely aged out. But, like, Jamal Murray counts. Uh, Monty Morris counts. Um, Malik Beasley counts. I believe Tory Craig. No, Tory Craig is old. Damn, he's old as hell. Michael Porter. Uh, he, just, he just came around really late. Yeah, Michael Porter, though. Um, Let's see. Nikola Jokic, obviously. Bull Bull, who they just added in the draft. Obviously a big question mark there. But, you know, he's he's definitely worth it, too. Like, And even um, even Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's proved to be pretty, uh, maybe not necessarily the NBA player that a lot of people thought he was going to be. But you, you, can't, you can't make an argument for anybody but the Nuggets here, I don't think. I mean, for the number one spot. Because they literally, I mean, they made it to, they took... Uh, the Western Conference semis to seven games, you know, and it just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think there's any argument here, at least not for me. Yeah, I guess, like, the only case is, like, if you, like, if you think there's, like, one guy in a, another team that's going to end up being, like, one of the top three players in the league, like, if you're, like, in love with Towns, if you're like me and you're just totally in love with Doncic, but I think Jokic, like, Jokic really impressed me last postseason. Like, I wasn't sure if he was going to be 
as good of a got as good of a player um, in the in the playoffs as he is in the regular season. And, and he was better. Like he he dropped like what he like twenty nine and seventeen in that closeout game. Like he, he was so so good. And he he legitimately looks like someone who's going to end up winning an MVP or two before it's all said and done. And I think there is like a little bit of projection, obviously, with guys like MPJ and like if if you want to include him in there and like say he's going to be good. But it, it would it would certainly be interesting like if if he was in this year's draft instead of like let's just say he'd stayed at Missouri another year knowing he had the injury like would he have gone like like would you would you have taken Barrett over him like I don't know like I think I think there would have been an argument for MPJ for sure so that's like another really good piece that people forget is there yeah well I mean obviously now we know that Porter's only like option here was to go out for the draft last year because he wouldn't have even been able to play in college last year yeah um but yeah I mean I don't know I like I'm not I don't know if I totally believe in Porter, mostly because of the health. But yeah, just from a talent perspective, like if he puts the health part together, he could he could be really dangerous. And I mean, you could say the same thing for Bull Bull, um, you know, who is a, a really talented, fluid scorer for a guy who's like seven foot three, um, you know, had a great jump shot and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's it, it, they're definitely the best. I mean, I just I don't I don't think there's any question because with minimal extra veteran help. Like their under 25 group, you know, took them well into the playoffs last year. And I think I think that alone is all you have to look at to be like, OK, this this is the real deal, um, because it was mostly the kids on their team that were the ones, you know, coming through in the big moments last year in the playoffs and still seem to have quite a bit of room to grow. Even Jokic, who's already so good as it is, and Murray, who also is already so good. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're they're really really set, and they're they're going to be a fun team for the next couple of years. All right, so I think with that we can we can just about wrap this up. Um, we we probably maybe maybe next episode we could we could just quickly mention if we want to throw it together we could put together our own rankings. I, I guess based on what we were saying, the Knicks would be somewhere around probably like twelve ish. I guess based on what we were like, there weren't a ton of teams in the top. I don't think that we had, did we have any teams in the top nine? We'd put them, you said maybe the Suns, but outside of that, there was no one in the top nine that we really took issue with. Um, and then we had them ahead of the Thunder, Pistons, um, not the Jazz, not the Kings, um, the Spurs, the Heat, the Pacers, the Magic, and maybe the Warriors. Yeah, so that's like, it's like six or seven teams that they'd move up. So they'd, they'd be right around 13 or so. Yeah, I'd, I'd say at least that much. Maybe, I mean, I might put them near the top 10. Just if you started evaluating it, like, from a talent evaluation perspective rather than just, like, an advanced stats perspective. Like, so many players on the Knicks were considered projects that I just don't feel like you can judge them in a vacuum just by the production that they've already put on the court, you know? Because you're, you're projecting forward with their player, with most of the Knicks players, you know? Other than, like, I think like DSJ was expected to be sort of a player right away. Um, and maybe, I don't know, like Trier, I guess, but Trier was kind of a surprise. I do think Trier still has some room to grow, but Trier is maybe one of the only guys you could argue like is anywhere near what he could be as an NBA player. But like guys like Frank and Knox were always going to be projects. And even Mitch, who's their best young player, was always considered to be a project as well. And even most smart people you talk to will say that Barrett's a project. But they're all projects with very intriguing skills and, you know, look like they could be good pieces on a good team, hopefully sooner than later. But I guess time will tell as far as that goes. But, yeah, I think it would be fair to put them. I just think 20 was egregious. And 
I would I would have felt much better about putting them more near 10 than I would near 20. Um, although I certainly understand, you know, them being behind some of these other teams like the, you know, the Nuggets of the world and the even the the teams with those like singular stars like we talked about, like the Minnesota and the Philly and stuff like that. Like, obviously, they have those type of players that you would trade every young player on this roster for. Uh, and that says enough in and of itself as to how good just that one player on those teams can be. So, yeah, that's, I guess, kind of my final thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a great place to wrap this one up. Uh, we'll be back uh, later this week. Uh, we were talking about um, getting into some uh, player reviews. So we'll probably do that, guys, who were on the Knicks last season. Um, the free agents as well, because we never really, um, it, it was so kind of chaotic. We never got a chance to really go in depth on guys like Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, uh, Marcus Morris, uh, Alfred Payton. So, so we'll certainly do that over the next few episodes, maybe do something, a, a deeper dive on the 2k ratings. I think that would be fun. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll do another mailbag at some point soon if you missed out on the last one, but until then be good. Enjoy your summer. We'll be back in a little bit on Lock on Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.